Welcome to another episode of the Lookout Landing podcast. My name is Kate Pruser, and I am the managing editor of Lookout Landing. And joining me tonight, we have a programming note, a uh, little, little something different. John is not able to be with me tonight. So instead, we have somebody else wonderful from the staff who's joining us, and that is Zach Milkis. Jack, Zach, Jack, Zach, Mac. <laughs> that could be back for all I know. We're bringing we're bringing Milky back. Uh, did I say it right, Milkis? Milkis? Yeah, yeah. Milkis, milks. Close milkis? enough for rock and roll. Milkis, Milkis, Milkis. milkis. Yeah. But don't like, say it too many times, otherwise it stops being a word. Yeah, I was. Just, I mean, I was only like four times into it, and it was already getting kind of weird on me. Yeah, which is of me. course your your Twitter handle, right? If you want to it give is. people your Twitter handle. It is exactly that. Give the people your Twitter handle, Zach. Oh, sorry. The Twitter handle is... I'm trying is, to raise your profile here. I know, and like add to my like 60 followers. Yes. That have uh, expanded exponentially since joining the Lookout Landing staff. I know, the, uh, I think it was Lookout originally like single digits. It really is. Yeah, it was like <laughs> my friend who built my profile for me and then, you know, to other people that pitied me. One thing uh, that I find, I find it charming that even though you are uh, younger than me by kind of a significant margin, um, you are sort of an old man as far as technology goes, like oh, uh, yeah. the wielding of the social medias. Absolutely. Yeah, no, I, I prefer uh, physical books. You know, I prefer uh, owning actual albums of music, you mm -hmm. know, the whole streaming services. You know, they're not really working for me, so I don't know. I just feel like they could all, it could all disappear in a second if it's not something I can physically hold. Right. You know, it yeah, just, it, it, it makes me tremendously nervous, which is funny. Obviously, you should be more nervous of physical objects disappearing than things that are stored in the great cloud because the internet never forgets. But I will say, because for some reason, everything in my life right now is coming back to Showgirls, uh, <laughs> the movie, the 1995 classic. Of course. Um, and this David Schmader, who is, he writes for The Stranger or wrote for The Stranger, I don't know if he does mm -hmm. anymore, but he used to host annotated showings of Showgirls, and it was, it was just fantastic. And so they, they issued a DVD with his commentary on it. I swear it is the funniest thing. <laughs> And I couldn't find my DVD for a long time, and I went looking online, and obviously streaming services do not uh, carry this. Right, that's If they have niche. showgirls at all. Yeah, exactly. So I had no way to watch it. And now my Mac doesn't have a, a, a DVD thingy on it anymore. So right. I know yeah, they, they I'm, I'm just left here holding my deluxe VIP edition of Showgirls with no way to watch it. You could at least just frame it and put it on your mantle, do something with it. You say it like it's not there already. <laughs> uh, well, believe it or not, that is not the first reference to Showgirls I have uh, thought of today or plan to work into the show. So let's, Many more uh, to come. <laughs> let's get, let's get cracking because it was that kind of a weekend that, um, you know, forces one's brain to the dark place that is showgirls and other epic failures it certainly because did. what a fail what a fail whale of a weekend uh yeah. john has taken it to calling it deadger weekend 
mm-hmm. which I think, uh, you know, I was going with the very boring, like, Lollapalooza, son of Lollapalooza, right. uh, decaying corpse of Lollapalooza. <laughs> but De- Deadger Weekend is, I think, pretty pretty fantastic. I know you were at a lot of those games. Uh, I was at a lot of those games. None of it was fun. I had no fun. No. Uh, yeah, no. no. I'm almost none of it was fun. In fact, very very little of it was fun. Yeah, I mean the ceremony was beautiful, obviously. Powerful. Of I cried. Um, <laughs> but the actual game part, just to put it in perspective, we entered August 9th with a 31.1% chance according to Fangraphs of making the playoffs. And we currently sit at 12.7, and that's after we got the bump from the Orioles series win. Uh, currently, I think it was all the way down at like 9% something. Yeah, I believe that. Although, honestly, the numbers could have said negative 30 bajillion, and I would have been like, <laughs> yeah, that, that that totally checks out. At that point, it was certainly existentially catastrophic to the playoff hopes, Absolutely. or at least it felt like it. <laughs> it. It still does. I'm still not over it. So uh, tell me, I know you were there. Were you there with your dad? Tell, tell me a little of the narrative of your... Uh, a Deadger weekend. Yeah, um, so I think I'll work my way backwards because uh, I attended the game on Sunday. Um, I got my Edgar replica jersey. Uh, I went with my dad, uh, and he had attended the Griffey replica uh, jersey day, um, and didn't actually get a jersey. And I don't think that was an uncommon story. It seemed like no, a sort of no. I went to shot. a couple of the I went to a couple of the Griffey things, and there was nothing. Despite getting there very early. Uh, there were no, there was no joy in Mudville for, which was fine with me because I honestly didn't care that much about, but the Edgar stuff I would have pushed a child over for. So. Right, right. So, but fortunately they uh, expanded their cache of Edgar jerseys and we got one and that was excellent. Um, I think even according to some sources, the quality was a little bit better on the Edgar ones than the Griffey ones. Uh, anyway, we attended the game. Um, the game was a complete clunker. Uh, there was very little to cheer about that entire game. Uh, you know, clunker watching... is such a nice way to describe it. I think so. Very. Thank you for keeping the podcast PG. Sure, that's yeah you know, one thing that I can aspire to, <laughs> at least. Uh, but basically, watching Parker Bridwell just savage the Mariners lineup. <laughs> Let's talk a little bit. Let, let's talk about Parker Bridwell, who we let's lit not. up. We lit him up the last time we saw him. This is Parker Bridwell, named like an 80s movie villain in a John Hughes film or something. Absolutely. And, and that's just... a name that stops losing meaning once you say it enough times. <laughs> Parker Bridwell. Parker Bridwell. Parker... Either yeah. that or he'll appear in your mirror and, uh, and murder your lineup. <laughs> All I can see is a pair of legs. It must be either Max Posey or Parker Bridwell. <laughs> yeah. Tall, um, weird-looking dude who just... We made him look like Chris Sale. Like, discount Chris Sale. Yep. Uh, so that happened. You know, that's yeah. basically all I remember, because by the seventh inning, I was like a couple hot valleys deep and good, starting to feel good. my oats a little and, mm-hmm. you know, trying to salvage something. <laughs> all that could be salvaged out of those mm-hmm. games, really. Yeah. So anyway, so Sunday, that was a little bit of a bummer, but got my jersey um, and seriously contemplated buying a Corey's Brother Players Weekend t-shirt, <sighs> but uh, abstained. Uh, for now, we'll see if that good, good, good on you. Um, 
And okay, so actually, so my Dead Girl Weekend began uh, a little bit in a different fashion than I think than most did because I was uh, at a bachelor party. My friend was getting uh, married this weekend, so um, Edgar Weekend was kind of preoccupied by wedding festivities. Um, and Thursday night, I was in the middle of the Cascades with very little cell reception, and I oh. happened to check my game day at uh, <laughs> the exact wrong possible time. Um, in that, I saw Segura hit the homer. I saw Cruz hit the homer. I saw them tie the game. Uh, and I saw Edwin Diaz just unravel one little blinking, moving square at a time on my phone. <laughs> um, so that was a bummer. That one, that didn't feel good. That wasn't a good start. Mm-mm. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I would even, I'm going to roll Paxton's start on Thursday into part of Dead Girl Weekend. Oh, yeah. Because that's what really starts it, right? And I was at that game in the Maple Grove. My new Maple Grove t-shirt had just come. I was so excited. Yeah. And lo and behold, uh, it all, it was, yeah, I don't want to actually talk about it because that makes it seem real. It does. Kate, where are we at with our curse of the Amazon? Have we uh, been keeping tabs on that? Oh, that's (laughs) right. Uh, I think it's maybe time to dig that up. So if you don't know what we're referring to, Zach and I did a lengthy piece that um dovetails the mariners struggles with the rise of amazon in our region and i just feel like yeah it might be time to take another look at that it could be because we were rocking our brains this was you know the hanniger injury the felix injury yeah the only logical explanation is some kind of diabolical curse really it's what it comes down to i mean when Thiago Vieira comes in to make his debut which is the lone good thing that happened in that sucky suck fest of a, mm-hmm. it was the Orioles game, right? It was the opening of that series. Right. Yeah. Yep. So he comes in to make his debut. The very first pitch he throws is rocketed back to his face at a hundred miles an hour. And they cut to that shot of service in the dugout. And in his hands. <laughs> you could see the hair just like, like, uh, like when, what's his face? Han Solo goes into the carbonite. Please tell me I got, please tell me I got that reference right. Somebody's going to yeah. kick my ass so hard if I didn't. <laughs> Sounds about right. Yeah. My first, first word out of my mouth was going to be Luke. And I was like, no, 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 no. Um, I'm a bad nerd. So, yeah, it was just just looked like his face was slowly freezing but melting at the same time. Right. Uh, but luckily, Vieira, uh, the blessed one, has got some some good reflexes. He does. Yeah, that was truly remarkable. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. that would have been the point at which I was like, I I mean, I'm pretty rational about a lot of stuff, but I would have been like, nope, 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 nope. Mm-hmm. Witch's curse. Find the witches, everyone. <laughs> Let's fairy tale this. Let's go around from house to house throughout the kingdom and root out the source of whatever is going on here. Yep. It was uh, about, about to be like that. Yeah. I'm with so, you. So, I would have got my pitchfork and accompanied you. For oh, sure. yeah. Anyway, um, that's the beginning. I think things are difficult from there on. Uh, things go bad to worse and then they kind of crest in that terrible series to the Orioles or the first game of the Orioles. Um, And it really felt like they might not win again game ever again. Right. It did kind of feel like that, you know, certainly after my recap on Monday night, that was a little, little dark. It was a dark space. 
it was a dark space and yet uh and if you don't know what we are referring to run don't walk to your computer or mobile device find zach's recap from monday night about uh, that was a that's a riff on edgar Allan poe's the raven and read it because it's delightful and that's what we have we have to have the the fires in our little hobo trash cans have to burn brightly in these dark dark times um, and that they was do. certainly a, a, a very nice log tossed upon the fire warmed my heart yeah well when staring into the void anything helps <laughs> when staring into the void make pastiche out of it mm-hmm. uh so yeah that was uh, for me that was um it's it's a comfortable place right like losing oh, okay losing mariners i know the losing mariners i know how to write about the losing mariners i know how to think about them i know how to be disappointed by them so there's almost like a weird comfort that takes over yeah there is a, there is a little bit but there's also just i mean it's a tr- it was a tremendous sadness to me that they did this on edgar weekend that they couldn't pull it together and play better for him um, yeah, he doesn't th- deserve that. He doesn't. And I think my low point definitely had to be just hearing boos ring out at Safeco, which I said on Twitter, maybe don't boo. I, I don't I don't know what I mean, I understand it as a cathartic expression um, because it's frustrating. And I was frustrated and I was sad. And it's like, well, I can't uh, break down and cry right here in Safeco. So I'll just boo, <laughs> uh, which is understandable. But just for the the players and, you know, the idea of being there on that field and hearing that ring out is just, um, and the idea of Edgar hearing that on his weekend was something about that felt bad to me. I agree 100%. I think it's, yeah, it's just tough. I, you know, I understand the emotion. I understand the frustration, especially after this complete tease of a season in so many ways mm. where just when they're about to turn a corner things fall off a cliff um but yeah that's a tough one I, I i would not boo i would not advocate for that i would boo the booers um <laughs> or i would you know pretend like i'm a ghost you know and join them <laughs> in their cacophony of phantasms you know but i i, I would not I, I don't condone it I agree. They're saying boo urns, boo urns. Yeah, or maybe boon. Maybe they're boon. Uh, they're uh, re- living in the past, living out their memory of a distant time. You know, or or maybe clamoring to get him back in the lineup because I feel like he could have done a little more than <laughs> some of the bats we saw. Frosted tips and all. Maybe that's what the world needs. It's, I mean, it worked for <laughs> Team Puerto Rico in the WBC. Oh, did like, it ever? Yeah. Um, that's what they should do is they should all just undertake some horrible fashion choice together. Right. Um, so that was, that was my low point. Although I would also say, um, just watching them blow that five to one lead and knowing that it was Andrew Moore, who I, uh, like a lot as a pitcher and as a person, um, and just feeling like, uh, obviously he did not pitch well. But the situation that he was put in there was one that I feel was, well, first of all, Andrew Moore has a really specific warm-up routine, right? Mm-hmm. Um, he's a driveline kid. There's a very uh, prescribed 
practice that he goes through in getting ready for his starts, in doing the long toss, in warming up his arm. Um, he's never pitched out of the bullpen. I think he maybe has one bullpen start in his or one bullpen appearance at, in like an emergency in his professional career. Yeah, I was gonna ask, like, when has he ever? And I guess one once. in college because Pat Casey got super mad at uh, whoever was was pitching um and just threw him in there and it was kind of in a losing effort anyway um so mismanagement i think of the player and then you put him in there and just like really just let him hang out there to dry and which was so odd after pulling uh gonzalez Gonzalez so fast you know he he basically got through four innings and i think was into the fifth and they're just kind of like well you know, I think you've been good so far. Let's not have you screw it up out of yeah. nowhere and let's let Andrew Moore have a shot. But then they didn't have that same expediency getting him out when he got into trouble either, which yeah. is a disservice to the team. It's a disservice to Andrew Moore. You know, I think it's just kind of a bummer all around. And a disservice to the fans. And I understand yeah. if the fans were booing. <laughs> I don't know that the fans who were booing were necessarily making the differentiation between I am booing this bullpen management and I am booing this player. I am booing the bu- bullpen <laughs> management <laughs> specifically and nothing yes. else. Do not misconstrue yeah. my boo. <laughs> Which, I mean, maybe it was. I felt like booing it. It was not, yeah. I thought, uh, at all an effective way. And maybe you're thinking, um, you know, it's early in the series. You don't want to overtax the bullpen. We've got to lean on Pagan pretty heavily. I'm worried about him getting overused. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, you have a lead, finally. Do what you have to do to protect it. He obviously wasn't, didn't have it in that particular situation, don't press on with that with your 23 year old has pitched at three different levels this year. Like, just don't, don't do that. Don't do that. Yeah. Um, And I think that also kind of feeds into just my low point or low points with that series, which is just the bullpen in general. Um, You know, after how dominant they've really been since the all-star break, um, I pulled it up. They had the third fewest runs in baseball allowed. Uh, in the month following the All-Star break, um, you know, right up to the Angels series where they just kind of imploded. And now they have um, allowed 17 earned runs in five games or six games. Um, where and it, just, who, it all where, kind of Where did the exploded. majority of that, where did that come from? Because it wasn't, I mean, it was every person failing in their oh, role. Yeah. Yeah, completely. I mean, everybody. It was, you know, Diaz, it was Pazos, it was Zick, it was all these guys that have been so solid, so consistently, Mm -hmm. that it just kind of, the floodgates opened up at exactly the wrong time. Yeah, and we all, so, ooh. Okay, so you're going to give the the goat of the series to the bullpen for just totally letting us down. Yeah, they can share it. (laughs) They They can share it among themselves. Yeah, distribute it as as they see fit. Each of you gets a tiny part of my disdain. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, I was disappointed in the bats, which just, aside from the game where they charged out to the 5-1 lead, uh, just really did not, um, didn't string together hits, didn't pick up their pitchers, didn't look lively against a pitching staff the angels have a powerful offense their pitching staff is hot hot garbage mm-hmm. or it should be yeah, um, ricky nolasco just... was like ariel miranda took my yeah. uh, home run lead you know i gotta get it back <laughs> <laughs> you know hold, hold my beer <laughs> yeah. um 
and then the Orioles too. So moving into the Orioles series, things that are a little uh, improved somewhat. Um, taking the series certainly is important against uh, another one of the crazy million teams in the AL wild card race. Mm-hmm. So certainly important, um, but. Man, that didn't feel like a series win to me. Did it feel like that to you? It's just they were in just such a hole coming out of that Angels series, and that was just so demoralizing. And then the first game of that series being so demoralizing really compounded that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess it's not like... I, well, the other two games they played fine. Uh, you know, Tuesday and Wednesday, the bullpen returned to form. Uh, they scratched out enough runs to basically make make it worth their while. Um, but yeah, it was tough. It was just, I think that the, the momentum isn't quite back yet. I think that that is, yeah, it, it's just, none of them felt like decisive, convincing wins. Mm-hmm. Uh, neither of the two, I should say, because there were only two. Mm-hmm. Um, we kind of wiggled past, who was it who pitched on... Tuesday. Uh, I was let's at see. that game. Yesterday was Gonzalez. Um, the day before was Miranda, wasn't Miranda. it? Miranda. For them, for them. Who pitched for them? Oh, um, Wade Miley on Tuesday. Wade Miley. That's right. And we made Wade Miley. Wow, that's a surprisingly difficult sentence we to say. We made Wade Miley. We made Wade Miley look like, uh, well, not Wade Miley. No, uh, which which was distressing, good. yeah, and it took some like late inning pushes against their again pretty poor bullpen mm-hmm. in order to be able to get past. And then Wednesday, a game that should have been it's it's Ubaldo Jimenez. Yeah, like now that Jared Weaver is retired, I feel like he takes over as the punchline in bad pitcher jokes, don't you? Yeah, I mean, he was just, I thought his, his first fastball of the game was at 87 miles per hour. And I was like, oh no. <laughs> and he ended up getting it back up to like 93 a little later on, but it was, yeah. Yeah, I he mean, that kind of anymore. that kind of variation in your velocity tends to mean like, you're using a d- bunch of different release points, which means your mechanics aren't solid. Like you really kind of want to be within a few ticks of each other mm-hmm. uh, when you're throwing the same pitch. I don't know. Maybe he was throwing um, some pitches I don't know the names of, but that's that seems pretty. That seems like a pretty big uh, variance. Yeah, he was. Yeah, I think throwing a little bit of everything. You know, we saw like a fastball, a changeup, a slider, a splitter, and none of them were particularly effective, <laughs> right? The and, smartest and, approach. And we'd see people get on base, or they'd do a little bit of something, but somebody else had made an out, and by that point it was two outs, and then they just couldn't scrape across more than one or two runs, which, again, I say, Ubaldo Jimenez. Yeah. Well, I'm well, sure he's a nice person, but... <laughs> Not a yeah. great pitcher. It did end up coming together a little bit, I think, because they were starting to make hard contact, um, mm-hmm. you know, sprinkling in throughout the game. And then Alonzo had his homer, and uh, it, it did come together a little bit in the middle of the game to chase him. But, you know, you got to jump on him faster than they did. There's yes. No question. And build your nice lead and maybe have it be more than 
maybe have it be not a safe situation after your closer has pitched the night before. Yeah. Because whole hot diggity did Diaz look terrible. Yeah. I realize I misspoke when I said the bullpen did well, with the exception of one particular <laughs> inning <laughs> at the end of that game where Edwin Diaz came in. The bullpen did pretty well that series. Yeah, I mean, Emil- can we? I know, I know, Emilio Pagan is your guy. Do you want to throw him a little bit of love? Oh, absolutely. Let's talk about his uh, three pitch inning. Oh yes, let's talk about that. The, the the definition of efficiency. That was pretty cool to watch. Where he's just pop up, pop up, pop up out of it. I yeah, know. If sit we down. if we've got an immaculate inning, I think that there's got to be something more intense that we can give to that. It's the Emilio inning. We'll have, we'll we'll have to call it the Emilio inning, I think. Yeah, I think we can innovate some kind of interesting nomenclature that that does it justice. Yeah, we 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 can make that happen. Mm-hmm. Very um, powerful. Yeah, so Emilio was great. He pitched the night before, pitched two innings, and was great. Uh, he's just I just I I like him. He's got good stuff. Throws up in the zone. Benefits from the outfield defense and mm-hmm. general marine layer that Safeco offers, and I think he's a good fit and he's got good stuff, and I'm really happy to see him succeed. Me too. Uh, and he does a lot with like not the overpowering velocity. You know, sits like 92, 95, depending on where he is. It's a good firm fastball, but it's not like the blow you away 98 volatile fastball. Right. right? It's a little bit deceptive because it has you know, rise. Mm-hmm. The spin. The spin. the spin. Sure. Yep. Um, that really causes batters to swing under it almost all the time. We see that happen it, almost it every is, at bat. It's such a nasty pitch that he, and he is just able to like spot it all around. And, uh, you know, it's another argument that you don't have to be one of these crazy flamethrowers to be effective. You have to have velocity, but, you know, it doesn't have to be the the super high triple digits power arm necessarily if you can be deceptive get the spin Um, and it's it's great to have the ability to have him do two innings yeah he's pitched three innings like he's pitched four innings (laughs) i mean they've had him do everything (laughs) and this is a guy that really at every level in the minors was like a late closer yeah Yeah. going back to college Um, yeah so great that he's able to do that you know hopefully we don't overdo that but you know it's nice to see him succeed in those situations i was very nervous when i saw him coming into the game and i was very i'm getting very concerned about overuse of him so that three pitch inning was just ah thank you emilio yep (laughs) that was that was super great it was um so emilio is a bright spot the other bright spot that I kind of want to cover in Mariner's land a little is um, the women in baseball event that the Mariners did on Tuesday. And I know you were there. I was there. I was there. Uh, we got to see LL Meg Rowley moderate a panel, a panel of women from all different aspects of baseball, which I thought was really cool to pull someone, someone who works on the communication side, like Kelly Monroe, um, somebody who works in the analytics department, which I feel like there's still very much a um, a belief that like the stat guys are you know guys right that it's analytics the Jonah departments Hill are mold yeah exactly <laughs> um, and it was cool to listen to Sarah Gellis talk about how 
Moneyball did inspire her, but mm-hmm. it was like, oh, hey, I this is a this is a thing that I could do with baseball, this sport that I love, and then um, stats, which I also love, and I just thought that was so cool—the idea that Moneyball could be a pathway for somebody because books are democratic, right? Anyone mm-hmm. can pick up a book and read it. Um, well, not everybody can watch an Aaron Sorkin screenplay. <laughs> I mean, personally, <laughs> I can. <laughs> I mean, we could say you physically can, but mm-hmm. uh, as far as me thinking about things I can, other things I can do with my life uh, <laughs> during that time, yeah. Um, so that was cool. I was most taken by Amanda Hopkins, who does the scouting for the Four Corners region of yeah. the for the Mariners. I thought she had amazing practical things to say, and really started to get interested in scouting and the idea of like potentially going to scout school or something. Yeah, which is a thing that I just learned existed. (laughs) Yeah, I've been reading all these diaries. Ben Lindbergh did one for for Grantland. Um, That's great, just a great glimpse into it if anyone wants to read about it or learn a little bit about what goes on at scout school. So uh, it's cool to see with all the different perspectives that were presented. And, of course, Shannon Dreher, a.k.a. the Queen. Mm-hmm. Um, she represented, I think, in a lot of ways, that first wave of women who came through and, and kicked down the door so a lot of the rest of us can enter. Um, so that was that was deeply cool. And it was I am deeply proud to be a Mariner fan and uh, just so grateful to how the whole thing for how the whole thing came off. Yeah. Uh, and if you missed it and want to see it, it's on the Mariners' Facebook that it was live-streamed, um, and it's there's a recording of it there. All right, yeah. so moving on. Um, do, do, do We have some news. Christian Bergman cleared waivers, which, honestly, I was a little questionable about whether he was going to do or not. Yeah, he's shown ability to pitch semi-competent major league Mm -hmm. innings and he's definitely could find himself back on this roster in a long relief type role um could see him when rosters expand potentially Mm -hmm. if christian bergman had not been a seattle mariner i feel like jerry would have claimed him (laughs) yeah right he's like exactly the mold like he is the quintessential depoto long reliever yeah, I mean, there's a reason he went out and got him. So mm-hmm. I don't, I don't know. Jerry's just always, always ready to pounce on something. In fact, I just saw, I think we just signed somebody else. Really? Um, yeah, I, somebody who got assigned to Double A. Double A is hurting right now because they've taken so many of the pitchers from Triple A that now they're moving guys in to do spot starts. Uh, everyone in Tacoma right now is a long reliever. Mm-hmm. Uh, nobody's pitching over four innings, which I feel like is, uh, I don't, I don't know about that as a strategy. Chase DeYoung has been sent down to double A Arkansas, which now makes sense to me. Like they don't want him mm-hmm. pitching as a long reliever. Right. They want him pitching, uh, you know, as, as many innings as he can and staying stretched out. So his demotion, demotion, it wasn't really a demotion, I don't think, but that makes a little more sense to me. Reallocation. Reallocation. I still don't know what they're doing with Moore and why they have him on the similar pitch limit. Like, yeah. Uh, yeah. So I don't know what it's what that does mentally to guys. Like, oh, I'm just going to go out and pitch my four innings and hope for a call to Seattle. Is that inspiring for them? Maybe. 
because all yeah. they have to do is pitch their four innings well and know that they have a shot for being called up. Yeah, it's tough to say. I mean, if you acquit yourself in that capacity, you know, the, the team is going to have a need for them when, in, when the rosters are expanded in September when uh, they need some artillery out of the middle of that bullpen to help channel them through some games after some dubious starts, you know, yeah. they're going to be needed in that and let's, role. Let's talk about just how dubious those starts are, uh, because I tweeted out something today that Casey Boguslaw um, tweeted that was about war by pitchers for the month of July into August, I think it was, the last 30 days, mm-hmm. uh, and the Mariners are second worst next to only the Chicago White Sox, who, as we know, had a fire sale and now have a fan pitch an inning contest, I believe, is how they're doing it there. Right. That's that's one way to do it. Yeah. Um, so this is uh, troubling. And as we know, the Mariners are about to head out on leg two of the road trip from hell. So they had their brief respite at home where they returned from the road and uh, apparently had a road hangover that they just didn't wake up from until the last couple of days. And now they're heading back out for Tampa Bay, Atlanta, the Yankees, and another trip to Baltimore. Um, fun. Fun times ahead. See, last week we did the podcast and I was all full of hope and flowers and ideas of Edgar Weekend. And I was like, oh, the Angels, they handled the Angels when they went to the Angels Last time, I'm not worried about this. Tampa Bay, I'm not worried about Tampa Bay. I don't think they're contenders. And now I look at the Mariners, I'm like, I don't know if you guys are contenders. Yeah, it's Um, tough to say. Uh, Fortunately, I think it'll be a little bit of a soft landing in theory because Tampa has been cold. They've been really cold. Um, They've lost, what is it, 10 of their last 13 games. Um, And they also weirdly haven't been scoring runs. Like, Team Dinger down there have scored, <laughs> you know, over four runs one time in all of those 13 games, right? So suddenly they're having issues, too. I am looking up right now to see how they came out today, because I know that they were in, uh, involved in sort of a struggle. Oh, yep, they lost to the Blue Jays today. All right. Uh, they are now 60 and 63. Oof. Yeah. Uh, they are How the mediocre real... have become more mediocre, <laughs> as the old adage goes. <laughs> Ooh, oh, the American League. This is they'll write stories about us this year. Um, the oh, Dominic Leone got the win. Good for you, ah, Dominic Leone. Good old Dom, hanging in there. L- little lion man, I remember you. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, they are on a cold, cold, cold streak. But the Mariners have also been on a fairly cold streak, and not just with our terrible pitching and okay bullpen that occasionally sometimes little parts of it catch on fire. We all have to run around and put it out. Um, But Ben Gamble has been rough lately. Yes, he has. Uh, He's seen the uh, Babip gods kind of turn their shoulder on him. He did not make the... He shaved the beard, maybe, and they were unhappy. They were were unhappy. Yeah, maybe he also stopped sacrificing a sporadic chicken, you know, and things just fell from there. I don't know. He has one of the 10 lowest 
OPSs in the majors uh, over the past month. Yikes. He is ice, ice cold. Um, I like Ben Gamble. I think he will get it back together. But yeah, Mitch Haniger is sitting there all unlacerated now. <laughs> uh, and I'm wondering if maybe they option Gamble back to Tacoma and bring up Haniger. Something's got to happen to bring Haniger up. And I don't think they can just leave Haniger if he is officially not on the DL, they either have to option him or bring him up, I think. Right. Um, I his rehab's got to be almost up. And it's kind of yeah. this weird limbo where it's not quite roster expansion, but he's also going to be done with rehab. He's also hitting in Tacoma. He is. Um, yeah. Yeah, and he looks pretty comfortable in the batter's box. Right, and... which is more than I think any of us could say after getting hit in the face with a plus 90 mile per hour fastball. Yeah. Like, ever again. He had such a nice face, too. Yeah. It's all messy. Poor guy. Uh, it actually looks fine. I've seen it. And he's. I wonder if when he comes back up, he's wearing the full flapped hel- helmet. Yeah, I noticed uh, uh, Heredia helmet. started wearing that, too. Yeah, Heredia is no dummy. No. No, he's no not. No dummy. Um, so we've got, we've got that coming up. Um, the Rays all along have been kind of propped up by, like, three players, right? Like, Lomo... Corey Dickerson Sousa. Uh, and Sousa. Yeah. Who all of a sudden was like, Hey, what happens if I just don't strike out all the time? <laughs> Good things happen. Uh, but d- when you look at any of those three players, you don't necessarily see like, Hey, this is super, uh, sustainable. Uh, right. No, no. And again, they, they kind of tend to live and buy, uh, li- live and die by the dinger, right? They have mm-hmm. how many guys over 20 home runs? Like a lot, like half their lineup. Um, and sometimes those happen, sometimes they don't, you know, I don't know. Is their lineup better than the Mariners? Probably not, but who knows? (laughs) (laughs) I would say I would be sad if it was because they've spent like what a quarter of what the Mariners have spent on their lineup. Yeah. So it would be really sad if they were, (laughs) that would be sad. Yeah. But they've been Uh, sneaky, successful. They have been. So this is, uh, and it's going to be such a tough road trip that that is going to be Tampa Bay. They need to take care of business there, go into Atlanta, take care of business there. And then whatever happens, happens in New York and Baltimore. Uh, I don't think New York is quite on the tear that they were on when we saw them. Mm -mm. Uh, It seems like Aaron Judge has maybe come a little more earthward he has uh and so has Aroldis chapman it seems like i've been seeing he's blowing saves there has been yeah so uh there should be and remember the yankees were kind of fringe to begin with um right they have made the thing about the yankees is they've made a lot of moves they have. they've made a lot of moves to get to be a better team and um you know they're going to be playing at home and i anticipate that being very difficult and i anticipate our pitchers in those tiny tiny parks of the al east struggle that's what scares me is these fly ball rates are not gonna look well in you know camden yards or new yankee stadium it's a little little dubious so what we're what we're hoping for hoping beyond hope is that um we can just get some serviceable innings out of our pitchers, and the offense is going to have to step up hugely. Uh, we need Nelson Cruz to be Nelson Cruz. 
we need Kyle Seeger, despite having apparently lost 12 pounds to a stomach bug, uh, to continue hitting as well as he has been. Yep. Is he going to be back for the series? Do we know? I assume he That's is. what they're saying. Yeah. yeah, that's that's what they say. So we hope, but, uh, you know, stomach bugs, they are pesky and tricky. And it's, I think, unrealistic to expect that he's going to be up to snuff or up to where he was right away. Mm-hmm. Takes a while to recover from these things. Um, so uh, there's terror on the horizon. The terror comes mostly from the rotation, slash the pitching, slash the bullpen, whatever. <laughs> slash the um, offense when they don't score. Slash, slash the offense. Yeah, slash the, terror the fans is when they show up and start booing. <laughs> the terror is everywhere. Yeah. It is the calls coming from inside the house. Is there anything that we can be hopeful about with the rotation or anything that we have seen that is, or with the rotation or the bullpen, is there anything, any glimmer of hope that we have to offer fans? Hmm. I think, I think what gives me hope is just really when this bullpen is on and when it's used correctly, they're pretty mm-hmm. lights out. And they have the ability to get you certainly four innings, maybe five innings, depending on who, you know, how kind of the bridge guys are doing. Um, and that gives you flexibility with how solid they've been and how shut down they've been uh, when they're on. It gives you some leeway. It does. I would like to see... um, Man, I have been a big fan of Casey Lawrence, but he had a couple of those meltdowns. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm not sure if you can trust him with a lot of innings right now which stinks because there was a time where he was pitching four or five of them where he was just looking unhittable. Yeah. Um, maybe he just needs the Emilio adjustment, whatever happened to him when he got sent down to Tacoma and then came back up breathing fire. I don't know. Right. Um, but we do have Emilio. Emilio has the possibility to go multiple innings. That feels okay mm-hmm. um i am much cheered by and i know that things fell apart for him in the fifth inning in his last start uh but i really liked what i saw from marco gonzalez in his start um no he's not going to strike a bunch of people out but he's getting ground ball outs yeah. and like god my whole kingdom for a ground ball out i love ground <laughs> ball outs yeah and he picked up i think three double plays um, yeah. Well, yesterday that were, I, th- it was two behind. It was two turned behind him. Okay. Uh, before that, he'd only ever had three in his entire major league career. Right. So, so that if was... this could be more of a trend, that would be very helpful because he was getting very timely ground balls yesterday. He sure was, uh, and you know his stuff has, his stuff is really hard to analyze because there's so little information on it. Um. Because he's he just has little scattered innings here and there, right. uh, so it's not super helpful to look at. But he has been classified as a um, flyball pitcher, but I see him, and especially with the stuff he's got working low in the zone with the sinker with the change, right. um, that definitely seems to be what he 
what he's able to produce is a lot of ground ball outs and a lot of weak contact as batters reach down to try to flip that into the air. Right, and we saw that a bunch sometimes, yesterday. Yeah, sometimes it's going to hurt him. It fell, I think it was Caleb Joseph who had the really, really dumb hit. Yep. So dumb. He did have a dumb hit. Uh, it was super dumb. Just a little, uh, excuse me, swaying off the end of the bat that happened to fall, which shouldn't happen in our outfield. Things shouldn't fall. Um, but once in a while, that's it's going to happen because baseball's dumb. Yeah. Um, so I, I think, you know, he's still building back from TJ. He's still adjusting to being a starter again. I liked what I saw as far as he's got three solid pitches that he can throw for strikes. Yep. He's got the sinking fastball, the curve, and then the very excellent changeup. Uh, he's able to get strikes and spot the curveball. He can't make mistakes with it. When he does, it gets punished. But I didn't see that many. I saw him make more mistakes with the fastball trying to get back into counts, which was, I think, what happened with the gentry double. Or triple. 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 Almost yes. home run, but triple. Yes. That, that, and that would have uh, definitely made things look a little differently if that had been a, whatever it was, three-run home run instead of... Right. Just the damage that it But did. also in there, there was the, I think they called it a wild pitch, but it could have been a pass that ball. That was a pass ball. And Zanino, I thought that's that was what it looked like. Um, just between his wickets. Right. I... It was through the wickets. And so, you know, it's not like he's ever going <laughs> to miss horribly. And in fact, we saw he was really able to move around the zone pretty effectively. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So I think that there's a lot of room for encouragement with Marco. And I think that he adjusted really well to not getting the low strike called, which has been a difficulty across the league is uh, certain pitchers, especially if you're not sort of one of those upper tier level guys, you're not getting that call. You're not getting the bottom of the strike zone. Um, And he's going to have to go out there every time and work it and work, work it and try to earn it. And um, I think that as he pitches more in the league and people umpires know get to know who he is as a pitcher he's going to start earning that strike zone because they're going to know he's not just up there throwing garbage he's working his way he's a command control guy Mm -hmm. so uh if there is some some little bit of hope to have that's i think where we find it but it's it's going to be hard it's going to be hard and it's potentially going to be really bad we'll see we shall see (laughs) But that's the thing. It's like I was sitting here thinking la, 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 the Edgar weekend was going to be so great because everything was just going to line up and the stars and, uh, you know, and that turned out the way was uh, I think somebody on Twitter called it uh, the Red Wedding Part 2, which Spoilers. is definitely how it felt. <laughs> yeah, it did. It felt pretty, uh, pretty catastrophic. It did, but it's over now. It's over. Onward and upward it's, to the East Coast. It's over. Onward and upward and outward to the filthy, stinky, hot East Coast. Yep. And to the filthy, stinky state of Florida. No offense, Florida. <sighs> Some offense. A lot of offense, Florida. A lot of offense. Do you ever see the thing of the, the minor league? It was, I found it on Mike Marjama's Twitter, our new uh, backup catcher. He's in Tacoma. Mm-hmm. And I guess when he was playing for a team down there, I can't remember who it was, whatever Rays affiliate it was, there was a 10-foot-long gator in their dugout one day. Cool. <laughs> Hashtag Florida problems. Great. Is, uh, is yeah. like, the, the gator going to come in and pitch some relief or something, or what's the... 
Oh man, Jerry Depoto's got that gator on the phone right now. Yeah, I bet the gator's cheap. Just a small mammal. After gator it does has well. tons of options. Gator has options. Gator's gonna gate. And the haters, well, accordingly, they will hate. Hate, hate. Yep. Uh, now I'm picturing a gator dressed up like Taylor Swift dancing around, and it's really delightful. All right, we're going to take a break. I'm going to spend a little more time with that mental image. And uh, when we come back, we will answer your Twitter questions. Try to see things my way. Do I have to keep on talking till I can go on? Are you seeing it your way? On the risk of knowing that our love may soon be gone. We can work it out. We can work it out. And we're back. All right. Now is the time on the Lookout Lightning Podcast where we take your questions. So, let's see. Some good ones today. Uh, I asked for questions about books because both Zach and I like to read, right? That's fair to say. It is. Just not these books. But we'll get to that in a second. So Patrick Dubuque uh, at EU, EUQ Bud asks, if James Fenimore Cooper had written a novel about baseball, would the sport have survived? Now, Zach, you were not, you, were you not forced to study the literary works of James Fenimore you know, Cooper? No, I never did, and I don't even think I saw the Daniel Day-Lewis movie. <laughs> the Last of the Mohicans? Yeah. Is that, I believe that's what you're, to what you're that's referring to. That's the one. I really only know James Fenwar Cooper because of fantastic, uh, one of my favorite pieces of literary criticism ever, which is Mark Twain's takedown of James Fenwar Cooper's description of Native Americans. And he talks about the Cooper Indian and how it possesses, he possesses, um, well, basically it isn't it because that's how Coop, how clumsily and ham-handedly Cooper writes about them, um, how they seem to ha have these powers like nothing else because they're not actually fully realized characters because they are um, just really and I, I think I think Mark Twain would have gotten along very well in our um, world. His tweets nowadays. would have been fire. Oh my gosh, he would have had some good tweets, wouldn't he? Oh yeah. I imagine like him and Joyce Carol Oates would kind of go at it a little, right? Isn't Joyce Carol like, Oates still alive? Love... Well, yeah, but she's not good at Twitter. Not a refined Twitter presence like, at 95 years no, old. Oh, I mean, she just said she says a lot of stuff that it's like Joyce, Joyce, maybe, maybe, baby, step away. Um, but I would have loved to see those two go at each other a little. But anyway, so in addition to all his other sins uh fenimore cooper is also known for his terrible terrible plot holes let's see if i can find literary sins of james fenimore cooper oh, it's like one of the first things when you type in literary fenimore cooper's literary offenses is the actual name yes he was taking apart deerslayer by it um he says a tale shall accomplish something and arrive somewhere but the Deerslayer tale accomplishes nothing and arrives in air. Oh, no. Uh, <laughs> yes. He's talking about the rules of fiction and how Deerslayer 
breaks all of it. Number 10, they require that the author shall make the reader feel a deep interest in the personages of his tale and in their fate, and that he shall make the reader love the good people in the tale and hate the bad ones. But the reader of the Deerslayer tale dislikes the good people in it, is indifferent to the others, and wishes they would all get drowned together. So, nice. Uh, uh, it's really, it's just overall, if you haven't read it, it's an excellent essay. Again, one of my favorite pieces of writing ever, probably, and just deliciously wicked. Um, so I don't know what that has to do with baseball. We you know what does baseball, have to do with baseball, but... tangentially, is that James Fenimore Cooper uh, lived in Cooperstown, New York. Oh. Yeah. I wonder if he was related to the Coopers of Cooperstown. <laughs> that doesn't seem so far off, does it? I mean, I know it's a common last name, but... Yeah, I don't know. It could be. I'm going to do would some research on It seem like, you know, I mean, how many Coopers there were there in Cooperstown? Uh, let's swing from Presumably one end two at of... One point. <laughs> let's swing from one end of literary offenses into another. Uh, Brittany at Brittany Bush wants to know, does Jeffrey Eugenides dislike women? Or is it just me who thinks that? Um, women, and now I remember where I was coming with my showgirls reference, <laughs> women in Jeffrey Eugenides novels, much like... Native Americans in James Fenner Cooper's tales, and much like women in Showgirls, who seem to have been built off of a concept that women together do nothing but talk about their breasts, eat chips, and do each other's nails. And those are like the three defining qualities of womanhood, according to, and female bonding, according to the movie Showgirls. Um, I don't know that Jeffrey Eugenides has ever met a woman, and I will leave it at that. Uh, Kyle Rancourt wants to know, why do people book shame others? And I feel like this is something where you can really weigh in, Zach. Yeah, well, well, personally, you know, I would never book shame anybody. Um, uh, I don't I mean, I, I couldn't, I read a lot of, uh, just escapist novels and I've found, especially during, um, baseball season right now. I am very into reading books about people taking vacations I neither have time for nor can afford. Fair enough. So I've I've been just reading a lot of like very fluffy novels that I feel like I would have turned my nose up at a few a few years ago, but right now are are doing some very important work for me in that I have bad days where I have to write about and think about and talk about the Mariners and interact with people online about the Mariners who are very unhappy, some of whom want to take their unhappiness out on me, clearly, as I have a lot to do with the team. Um, and yeah, sometimes it's just nice to just curl up in bed and uh, read about somebody falling in love on a Grecian island. It feels really good. I prefer Italian islands in my romance novels. Mm, such, but, yes, but I'd say escapism is totally fine. There is a time and a place for that. There is. Don't let anyone book shame you. They just are insecure about their own feelings, um, or they they just don't understand what you're needing from that book at that time. All right, our next question comes to us from Poor Man's Press Box at Safeco Three Thirty. What's the best book about baseball you've ever read? What are the most underrated and most overrated? Hmm. 
I, you know, it's interesting. I, I was thinking about this, and I haven't read too many baseball books, I think, or at least not recently. Um, I read a Sandy, Sandy Koufax biography like a long time ago. Um, I, I actually grew up reading uh, Matt Christopher sports stories. Oh, Could yeah. Could not get enough of those. Um, so there were some that really, like, stuck with me out of that in my formative reading years. Uh, so would recommend to any uh, child cutting his or her teeth um, and interested in some kind of, I don't know, interesting fictional sports-related stories. Those are good. I cannot tell one Matt Christopher book from the other, to be honest yeah. with you. Well, you know, you could pick one. It's all the boy who couldn't do a thing that's every that's every book right yeah, there, there's some like supernatural elements in some of them which are good there's some kind of poignant family connections like there's one that i remember where like this kid he's like the the shortstop on his little league team and he's really good and he wants to be an all-star but then this other um team shows up and they have like a girl who's their shortstop and she's like really good and they have this like intense rivalry from afar and then it turns out that they're twins so, you know, some, <laughs> some touching, you know, really touching, meaningful, <laughs> sentimental, young adult sports fiction. You got, you got a spoiler alert, that man. Um, <laughs> what have I read? I've read all, very few fiction, or at least none that jump to mind, fiction baseball books. I have read a lot of nonfiction mm-hmm. baseball books. Uh, obviously, I like... Um, you know, the classics, like, uh, what's the, it's only weird if it, it only just has to work, whatever, the Ben Lindbergh one, the, the story of my life, they own the, the Sonoma Stompers, <laughs> that one was good, uh, very readable, um, I really enjoyed, actually, this book of essays by Jay Gould, who was a professor at Harvard for a long time, but, a very avid Red Sox fan on the side, and he just wrote beautifully about baseball, and there's a collection of his essays at the library. I would say that's maybe both my favorite and the most underrated. Um, I Moneyball was... I think it must have been just because there was so much hype, and I ever, you, know, you have to have read Moneyball, right? Like, everybody read Moneyball. Well, I didn't read Moneyball when it came out. Um, and I did not see the movie, and I sort of just dimly kind of, I read the Wikipedia summary, and I was like, eh, it's probably good for now. And then I never got around <laughs> to reading it, because it was one of those things where I was in grad school at the time, and I was like, I don't have time for this, but... Um, but time is money. Eventually, I will read it. Yeah, that's the new market inefficiency, is reading Wikipedia summaries instead of actually reading the book and then faking like you've read it for years. So when I started doing this job, I was like, oh, I actually have to sit down and read Moneyball. And I was like, that's it? But I don't think that's Moneyball's fault. I think that's uh, the fact that Moneyball is like the baseball book, right? It's something anybody can name. And I don't know. I was just like, oh, that that was nice. Yeah, but it didn't, and also it didn't feel revolutionary anymore at that point. Mm. Uh, I have Jay Jaffe's Cooperstown casebook actually at the library, waiting for me to go pick it up right now. So I'm super excited about getting into that. 
Um, I'm looking forward to a big Edgar chapter, and if there's not, I will print one out and pin it into the book. <laughs> you could just take a compilation of Lookout Landing articles that you've written over the past yeah. forever and I just could. stick it in there. You already I, have I the material. <laughs> if I print them out, I think that that would be equal to the size of the book, honestly. <laughs> Uh, it would be very suspicious when a book that is supposed to weigh, you know, six ounces comes back through weighing a pound and a half. Mm-hmm. Um, Bevel apologist Peter at HD Robot wants to know, have you read The Stars My Destination, if not The Stars My Destination? I don't know what that is. Did you Google it? Um, I did. I looked it up. It looks interesting, um, but I have not heard of it. Uh, it is called... Uh, the Star is My Destination, a science fiction novel by Alfred Bester. Um, I, oh, the Star is My Destination. The Star is okay. My Destination. Okay. I've not heard that. Yeah. Um, um, but I will go and Google. So, yes, you win, Peter. You, University of Chicago yeah, you did. educated. You, you out-book uh, nerded the, the book nerds <laughs> Yeah, out-book nerded us. <laughs> Congratulations. Come get your prize at the next Lookout Landing meetup. Um, do do you have anything that you've read that's not baseball lately that you want to uh, signal boost, Zach? Anything that you've particularly enjoyed? Um, let me think. Do-do-do. Uh, I've, I've just been on like... I mean, the answer is probably no, because whenever I have any free time, I'm writing things for the site, Kate. <laughs> That's the correct answer. So. Yeah, no, I mean, it's just I've, I've read quite an eclectic assortment of things. Actually, in fact, I just finished reading the first three Game of Thrones books, <laughs> which I... Oh. <laughs> was, was a... Talk about getting to, getting to the party late on something. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> um, but that was uh, enjoyable for my cultural literacy. I do watch the show, so, you know, it wasn't that out of uh, out of the loop for me but uh that was enjoyable um usually not a big fantasy guy either so nice to check out a new genre um i've also as my uh lookout landing twitter avatar would suggest have been on like a total uh, murakami kick so i'd like recommend mm. anything by him because he's the man and will win a Nobel prize in literature soon in the next couple of years i would imagine i do enjoy murakami for sure mm-hmm um and it's nice that he just kind of keeps putting the books out i mean i feel bad because i i haven't read one in years Uh, and every time i turn around i feel like they've multiplied there are like four or five more that i should read yeah Uh, very prolific very prolific and kind of like rock rock star status in japan anyway like his his, uh, book publication events are always these huge deals and they happen frequently so it's cool to see a contemporary author of his stature just churn them out and they're all good yeah i am down for that um all right well i think we will skip on to ethan's question which is ethan novak our staff writer uh who asked kind of cruelly i think how do we go about cutting down on the number of Zacks on this planet? There are too many Zacks. That's just that me. is, and and you know, like you know, I'm I'm new to the podcast here. Like I know I'm kind of like off-brand John Troopin with none of the charisma <laughs> and like all of the just sarcastic witticisms instead. But you know, that's I don't know. <laughs> Not nice, Ethan. I think I think we could say you're troop you're troopin a Jace. You're troop a Jace. Yeah. Uh, Maybe not quite as large a person. Like maybe if we open John Troopin up, like uh, 
a matryoshka doll style, we could pull out a Zach Milkis. So I'm like three quarters trooping. <laughs> like three quarters of a trooping. Yeah. I think that's fair. That, that works for me. And then I could just hide there, you know, as Ethan exterminates the Zachs. <laughs> All right. Well, that was excellent. Um, so one final announcement that I would like to make is... Lookout Landing is having a Lookout Landing night at the Tacoma Rainiers. We are going to just kind of show up. There's no ticket deal or anything. Um, we're just showing up to the game on August 31st. I'll be there. Zach will be there. Uh, John will be there. Several of the other writers. Um, hopefully a lot of you all, um, especially South End people who I know can't always get to the Safe Coast stuff, um, it's going to be a pretty cool night. It is also record store night, uh, and they'll be playing off of, from, uh, what is it called? High Voltage, the record store in Tacoma. Um, they will be playing some vinyl from the store. There's going to be a pop-up shop there. Uh, they're doing a showing of Scorsese, a Scorsese movie afterwards. It's, yeah, it's the last be, one. Like, there's going to it's a classic. Yeah, there's going to be a pretty cool, like, um, nerd element strong at that game, right? I'm so ready for that. I'm so ready for that. I just think there are going to be a lot of people with really similar interests there that <laughs> night. And we'll make friends, and it'll be really fun. So there's a post up about it uh, on the website. If you would like to, please just RSVP, leave a comment, uh, let us know if you're planning to attend because that way we can kind of get an idea of how many people will be mobbing out in, at Cheney Stadium. Um, and if you have questions, feel free to like contract, contact me on Twitter or whatever. Uh, so that should be big fun. Excited about it. It's the last home game of the season for the Rainiers. It's a little bit bittersweet, too. Yeah. Before the entire um, pitching staff then, joins the Mariners soon. <laughs> yes, before half of the Rainiers are Mariners. Uh, and then the other exciting piece of news we have to announce is there's going to be a lookout landing night at the Saturday, September 2nd, the game at um, Safeco against the A's. There's a ticket special for this one, so... It's an online only offer. I think it's like thirty bucks. Maybe it's forty. I think, I think it's, 30, it's the same though. deal as the women's um, baseball but, one, right? Or it's similar. I think concept. it is the same deal yeah. as the women's baseball. Yeah, it's part of the Beyond the Baseline Beyond the Baseline series. Um, so you get a ticket, you get a drink, you get a T-shirt, and you get to come to a panel where you get to hear me talk, <laughs> which I know you don't get enough of. If you listen to this podcast, you get to hear me yeah, talk. If you're now an hour you and a half into John this podcast. Talk. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Whatever. I'm, I'm gonna cut out. I'm gonna cut out a lot of the tiki torch stuff. Okay. Um, there, Nathan Bishop, who used to edit the site, will be there. Uh, Jose Rivera used to be part of the site and now works for the Mariners, the in-game social media coordinator. He'll be there. Colin O'Keefe, who also is an LL alum, who is the digital marketing coordinator for the Mariners now, will be there. And Jerry DePoto is going to be there. Ooh. And we get to be close to him. <laughs> uh, I mean, whatever. No, it's we get to ask him questions in a sincere, objective journalist way. Um 
And he has already told Colin that this is the most important thing he has going on today, and he will be available for as much time as we would like him. I think as much time as we would like him is still 30 to 40 minutes, but <laughs> that's a lot of time in Jerry Depoto's world, is, it is. He to be fair. He could have made, like, you know, 30 trades. 17 <laughs> trades, yeah, exactly. His trade-to-minute like, like ratio is very high. <laughs> yeah. uh, so that should be a blast as well two different things obviously we'd like to see you at both but hopefully you can at least make one uh, it's going to be big fun and something that we hope to repeat again next year all right so that is that for this week we will talk next week after they will have completed the first leg of this really difficult road trip uh thank you so much to zach for being with me tonight i hope you had fun zach i did thank you for having me kate of course. Um, and thank you to those of you who listen. We always appreciate that. And also sent us questions, which kind of drive the little engine of our podcast along. I'm sorry I talked about Mark Twain so much. I'll probably <laughs> cut a lot of that out, too. All right. So we will talk to you next week. And until then, go Mariners. And everybody's saying, don't worry. They say, don't